0: Go to Acts chapter 5. We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. In the modern day Christian culture that we reside in presently, um, we've got some sort of, we've got a type of slippery slope that, that, uh, that we live in right now. And here's the slippery slope that we want to convince people in the church, convince people in the walls of this building that I'm actually closer to God than I actually am. We we love the idea of putting up fake fronts so that people think that we are something that we are not. And, and this happens oftentimes not only in the Christian world but also in the business world. Um, we we have heard statements like this. How many of you guys have heard statements like this? Fake it till you make it. Anybody heard that? Fake it till you make it. And and that's um, oftentimes can have a false premise to stand on when that with that mentality. And it, so often with this false premise, it, it there's there's a a lack of facts that are present in our lives. When we tend to, to do this and try to fake it and put up a fake facade and put up this fake front in front of people just to, to deceive, ultimately what we're doing is we're lying to people around us and we're deceiving the people around us to, to the idea that, listen, I'm okay, I'm doing well, I'm doing really good, and I, my, my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is so strong and so vibrant and so big and so amazing. And we try to make people around us think that we're doing better than we actually are. And this can be problematic in our own walk. Uh, It can be; it's a dangerous game that we play in the church. And if you notice, people who change their whole—like, think about this: people change their whole persona when they realize that they're hanging out with somebody like a pastor. They really do. Um, That's the reason I try not to tell people I'm a pastor because immediately they just—whoa—they try to change their whole persona. Um, like, let's think about Let me give this example. If, 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 think of a world famous preacher that you know personally, if he came to this place and said as he was going to be here, a world famous Bible teacher or evangelist came into this place, many of us would, when we get around him, man, we'd change our whole speech, the way we talk about things, the way we address things, as opposed to how we address things with each other. So, if something goes bad in your life, like if, if, I, if that preacher, we wouldn't walk in here and have the conversation with the world famous evangelist and say, you know, last week I was in my car and this lady cut me off and she flipped me the bird and you know what I did? I rolled my window down and I shook my fist at her and I gave her a piece of my mind but we had those conversations with each other. We'd talk about those things with each other but if this world famous preacher came in you wouldn't say those things to him, you'd, you'd change your whole persona and, and you'd, you'd, uh, <laughs> you'd lay down this idea that, man, I, I'm super spiritual. You'd talk about the Bible. You'd talk about Jesus. You'd use words and language that maybe you don't use with your everyday persons that you interact with during the week. And we tend to put up these facades in front of one another in the church world. And I think that this is dangerous and, and a detriment to our own walk. Um, I've watched it many times in our own lives, in my own life personally, where I've been around people that I look up to spiritually. And man, sometimes I get really hyper sensitive about these, and I use things and ideas, uh, and 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 thought processes that maybe I wouldn't do with you know, hanging out with my brother or um, just friends. But this idea of putting on fake fronts in the church in order to impress someone else, um. Is, is a dangerous thing. You see, God knows our motives. And when you're putting up a fake front, when I'm putting up a fake front, God knows our motives. He knows what drives us. He, here's the thing. I can fool you, and you can fool me. Like, I can fool Tyler... Easily, I could be man. I could make Tyler believe something. I could tell Tyler something and make him believe, and I could fool him. Tyler can make me think something and I believe. I can do the same with anybody in this room. We can fake each other out and we can make somebody believe something that isn't true. But you can't fool God. No one can fool God. He tears down every facade, every fake front and knows exactly who you are and why you do what you do. He knows the f- intentions of your heart. First Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9 says, "As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts." If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So the Lord Jesus knows the intentions of your thoughts. He knows what the real motives of why you do what you do. We can maybe put up a front in here and you think that I'm trying to do something for a certain purpose. And like, man, that's a noble reason, Caleb. You're, man, that's really good. But God says, but Caleb, I know your real intention." And it's nefarious. I know your real intentions and what you are trying to really do because he searches all hearts and he understands every intent of every thought. Wow. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 says, the psalmist says, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So even, uh, we can even sometimes fool ourselves into believing a lie and thinking that we're doing what we're doing for a purpose and a reason. We're doing it rightly. And God even weighs the intentions of our hearts. We look at our ways and say, man, that's right. What I'm doing is right. What I'm saying is right. What I'm acting out is right. But God weighs the hearts. God is infinite. He knows all things. He sees all things. He is everywhere. And what we do in secret, God knows. What we try to hide, God finds. And I find it funny that Adam and Eve hid from God. But man, you and I do the same thing. We try to hide from God. Trying to hide hide our sin from God is is the ultimate act in futility. It is a waste of time to try to hide your sin from God because God knows your sinful thoughts. He knows your sinful actions. I don't care if you're in the deepest, darkest part of your house with the lights turned off and the covers over your head. God still knows where you are. Amen? God still sees where you are. And I, I wanted Hannah to read that text out of Isaiah this morning because I think that this is a, 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 a thought that we need to put into our mind. To seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways. And let the unrighteous man his, forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Like, here's the, the mind-boggling thing, is that God loves us. We sang Jesus loves me this morning, and then I'm telling you, he is here this morning, and there is an abundance of, of pardons available to you. But the idea here is you've got to seek the Lord while He may be found. And let me tell you, there's coming a day when the Lord is not going to be able to be found. He goes, oh, I got today. I got tomorrow. I got next week. No, we don't have the promise of that. Seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. This is indicating here that, that A, God may not always be around, available to you. He may be not be able to be found and he may not be close to you all the time. You better find him while he's near and find the, the, the comfort of his, his kingdom now as opposed to later. Don't wait to repent. God's mercy is available, yes, in this moment, but it might not be out forever. Like This is the ultimate deception of sin is that, man, I've got this. I, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I know God's, God's always I mean, going to be merciful. I can, I can, I'll sin now and I'll repent in a couple of weeks. Maybe. Maybe. Don't wait to repent. God's mercy is available right in this moment. Find God's grace to be present and available now in your life because it might not be later. So that being said, this was just the introduction. That being said, um, last week we saw in Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas sold a piece of land. Remember? He sold that Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He was the guy that encouraged those around him. So he sold this parcel of land. In fact, I'll just read the text. Acts chapter 4 verse 36 says, Thus Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, he was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native to Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money, the proceeds, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So we, we see that he laid this money, this offering at the apostles' feet in order that the church would be able to take that, those funds and use those funds to help those that were in need. Well, when this happened the people in the church took notice. The people in this community took notice. And I'm sure that there was a lot of, oh, Barnabas, thank you so much for your gift. Thank you so much for taking care of us. And and people, even in this day, we do that. When people give large sums of money, we say, oh, thank you so much for giving those funds. Thank you for helping us out. Thank you for doing these things. Well, this happened in this text. (sighs) The idea was hatched between two people, a husband and wife. A husband and wife saw what had happened with Barnabas, and the idea was hatched between the two of them. And the names of these two people were Ananias and Sapphira, as a husband and wife. And upon face value it seemed that what they what they did was okay. Let's read the text. Acts chapter five, verse one. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Seems legitimate, right? Seems okay, right? It seems like it's, it's going to be okay. It seems like uh, upon face value that what he's done is okay but he laid this land, this proceeds for this land at the apostles' feet. And he kept back a little bit for himself. Well, why, why couldn't he do that? Why, why couldn't he have kept a little peace for himself? They may have meet, needed the money to take care of their bills or something like that. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desires then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and when sin is fully grown it brings forth death was it wrong that they kept back a portion of the money for themselves well no absolutely not it was not a sin that they had kept back a portion of the of the of the of the money for themselves it was not but what was wrong was with this couple is they had put up a fake front in the church. They wanted people in the church to think that they were more spiritual than they actually were. They conspired together and told the church that they had sold this land and given all the proceeds to the church. The outward sin was the lying of how much they had given to the church. But the deeper sin was that the spiritual hypocrisy based in selfishness. Let's keep reading the text. They had done the exact opposite as Barnabas. Go to chapter, verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after you would sold it, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all those who heard about it. The young men arose and they wrapped him up and carried him out and they buried him. Oh, man. This couple was satanically inspired to do what they did. This, was a de- this is the deceptive nature of sin. They thought, if I can lie to God and not get in trouble, well, I'll, we'll be okay. They lied. Now, here's, this is what Peter said. Peter said, listen, the land was yours. You could have done with it as you wanted to do, but you made a, you put up this facade that you're hyper-spiritual and that you gave everything to the church, but you really didn't. You only gave a portion of this. This is where the satanically inspired notion came together. They did not see God as the omnipresent, infinite, uh, immutable God that He is. They viewed God as another human being, and I could lie to, I could lie to Chansey about how I'm giving my money here. I can lie to Tyler. I can lie to anybody in this room about how I'm doing things in church but i cannot lie to god but this is the problem is they saw god as a human and that's where many of us get in trouble in today's culture we think god is like us psalms chapter 50 verses 21 through 23 says these things have you done and i have been silent you thought that i was like like yourself but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forgot God, forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver you. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his ways, rightly, I will show salvation of God. God listen, guys. God's long-suffering in his grace But that long-suffering of his grace must never be looked upon as a laxity to abuse God's grace. His reckoning for rebellion will be manifested eventually if you do not repent. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us today not to abuse God's grace. I, I say this as a man who's abused God's grace. Don't think, oh, Caleb's never abused God's grace. He's just perfectly wonderful. He didn't... I'm saying this as a man who's abused God's grace, and I've repented over that, and I do not want to abuse his grace. And I want you to see this. As I listen, I want to openly stand here and repent and encourage you to do the same. Look at verse 22 and what it says here Mark this down, then, that you forget God, lest I tear you apart. And there be none to deliver you. Before God lunges to destroy someone for their sin, there is an offering of grace and hope. This morning, there is an offering of grace and hope for you. An opportunity to repent. The opportunity is right now. Why waste that opportunity? Why ignore grace when it's offered? This is crazy to me that this is, there's an offering of grace and hope here, but some will just, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe next week. Maybe next time. Maybe tomorrow. Let me think on it. Let me sleep on it. And then he keeps going in verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his ways rightly, I will show him the salvation of God. The remedy here is repentance. Repentance. The remedy is repentance. And Ananias and Sapphira did not live in that state. They lived in a selfish, satanically inspired lie. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to let's go back to Acts chapter five, look at verse four. <clears throat> look at verse four. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived? I love that. Why have you contrived? Why have you mustered up? Why have you hatched this lie? Why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men. So he's, he's telling, listen, you didn't lie to the church. You didn't lie. To, you're Ultimately, you lied to God. David had the same thing in Psalms 51. He said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Psalms 51. Mm. And when he heard this, he died. When he heard this, God killed him. He died. Ananias died for a really dumb reason. He died for a silly, a selfish reason. He could have he kept the cash if he had just been open and honest. That's the reason as I grew up, my dad always said, the capital offense in our home is lying. We'd get grace on a lot of things, but if we got caught lying, it was an automatic spanking. Period. You lie to me, you steal from me. If you steal from me, you'll kill me. The ultimate sin in our house was a lie. They died for a silly reason. Trying to hide their sin from God. When in reality, they didn't even need to hide it. They could have said, listen, church, here's the deal. I sold the property for $150,000. We're keeping 50 for ourselves, but we want to we give you guys 100. But we're keeping 50. And you know what they it said? Thanks. That's awesome. Because that's what the text says here in verse 4. While it was yours to do with it at your disposal, you could have done that. But what you said is, oh, we sold the land for $150,000. We're giving the whole, all of it to the... You sold it for one hundred fifty. dollars You kept 50. You said, well, we only sold it for $100,000. We're giving you all $100,000. They lied. They lied. <laughs> they tried to hide their sin from God, but it can't be done. Uh, when I was when the kids were little, there was this song that they used to sing all the time, and it was like this weird video. <laughs> Dumb ways to die. Is that? What was that? Sing it. Come on, sing it, Gabe. You don't want to sing it? There was a song that you used to find on the internet and it was, just, it was about trains and why you shouldn't play around train tracks. It was like Dumb Ways to Die. And it went through this crazy list of dumb ways to die. And one of them was playing on train tracks. Playing on train tracks is Dumb Way to Die. Dumb ways to die. Well, if that song was available in this day, it was a dumb way to die. Dumb ways to die to lie to God. It's a dumb way to die. Because like, that's the deceptiveness of our sin nature is that, man, I can hide this from God. You're not hiding anything from God. God knows everything. He even knows the intention of your heart. It's a dumb way to die. Let's go to verse (laughs) 7. That's probably the only thing you're going to remember out of the whole sermon is that song. (laughs) Dumb ways to die. Just remember that, okay? <clears throat> alright verse 7 because Ananias is dead his wife's still kicking she's still up verse 7 and after an, inter- an interval of time about 3 hours his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter said to her he was giving her opportunity here's the opportunity for grace here's the opportunity to do what's right and Peter said to her tell me whether you sold the land for so much And she said, well, yes, for so much. But Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband, they're at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last and when the young men carried her when the young men came in they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who had heard these things his wife had an opportunity to be truthful in this moment and say you know what no 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 I know we said we sold it for 100000 and we gave it all, but we actually sold it for 150. Guess what? They would have been like, all right, cool, fantastic, thank you. Truthfulness wins in the end. The <laughs> yeah, wife had the opportunity, but she followed her husband's example and did the exact same thing, and she died as well. It wasn't for a lack of opportunity to repent. It was that they had made their minds up and they had they were in a direct they had one direction that they were going. The the text says that they had these people had got together and they had, with their knowledge, they had hatched this idea and said, Listen, we need need to keep some extra cash back, baby. You know we got to pay these bills. You know, man, I want to go on that vacation. You know what we gotta do, baby? Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep that cash. Don't tell. Listen. Don't you tell Walida. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do, baby. We're going to give this much, but we're going to tell her this is, you know, this is what we're going to do. And they hatched this plan. They hatched all this up. And they had made their minds up and they were going this direction. Come hell or high water, we're going. This is what we're doing. Trying to hide our sin from God is an exercise in futility. It won't work. God is infinite. He is everywhere and knows all things. In Joel. Beek's book, The Reformed Systematic Theology, he says, cultivating an awareness of God's presence wherever we are going will do much to promote godliness in our lives. The best thing for us to do is when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sinfulness is to immediately go directly to God and repent of our sinfulness and follow His direction. And understanding that God is omnipresent, God is everywhere, God is in this room, God is in your car, God is God is in your bathroom, God is in your home, God is everywhere you go. He sees Oh, and what we've done in the culture today is we've made fun of this idea. The Simpsons had uh, the, the, the guy that was, God's always watching you. Remember that guy? Made fun of the idea that God's watching you. That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. Is They, they mock this idea that God's watching, but God is watching. God does see all. And when we have this idea, cultivating this awareness of God's presence wherever we go will do much to promote godliness in our lives. If you knew that Jesus was with you when you went into that place and did those things, would you do those things? If Christ was next to you when you were about to partake in that whatever it was, lie, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. Whatever it was, if you knew, wait, well, Jesus is here with me. Listen, we're not going to do this today. Christ is with me. Jesus is with me. I'm, nope. Would you do those things if Jesus was next to you? Probably not. But you said, well, he wasn't with me. Well, he was. You just didn't know it. But there will come a day when you are painfully aware that Jesus is next to you all the time. My hope is that today would be a day that we would say, hey God, I'm no longer going to abuse your grace. I've, I've abused it for long enough. I've done it for long enough. But God, today, today only, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done abusing your grace. And rather, that we would live in His grace. And be acutely aware of our need for Him. You know, we sing songs like, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Lord, I need you. We sing that song over and over again. We say, I mean, if I look at you and say, hey, do you need the Lord Jesus Christ? You go, yeah, yeah. But I think we are painfully unaware of how desperately we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need him so much. And what is scary is that some of us, what's horrifying to me is that some of us do not see that as things that we truly do need. We, we just say it with a surface value. Yeah, yeah, I need God. No, I need God to be able to take my next breath. I need God to be able to take my next step. I need God to be able to read these words on this screen. I need God to be able to un- unpack what's in this book. I need God To be able to lead my family. I can't lead my family without God directly intervening. I can't love my wife the way I should love my wife without God directly intervening. I cannot love and lead my children without God directly intervening on my behalf the way I should. I'll be selfish, narcissistic, and hedonistic in my pursuits if I do not have Christ at the helm of my life. If Jesus is not at the center of what I am doing, I will not be able to do what I need to. And the same goes for you. If Jesus is not at the center of what you're doing, you will not be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish the way he wants you to accomplish it. You will not be able, I can do it on my own, I'm American. Pull myself up by my bootstraps, I got this. No, you don't got this. Nobody's got this except for Jesus. And Jesus must be at the front Forefront, The helm. He must drive this thing. I've seen bumper stickers. Jesus is my co-pilot. Man, you're in trouble. If Jesus is your co-pilot, you in trouble. Because he better be pilot, the pilot. And this is the mentality that, that Ananias and Sapphira had. Oh, I can do my... God's just like me. You made the assumption that Jesus is just like you. He's not. What's that... The, <laughs> Psalms 50 These things that you've done And I've kept silent You thought I was like you But now I rebuke you And I charge you before Mark this You forget who I am I'll tear you apart That's what the psalm says You forget who I am I'll take you out But if you don't forget who I am And you offer thanksgiving You'll find salvation we try to play God, we try to play games with God. And God is way bigger and way stronger, way more like <laughs> there's coming a day, and I think it's getting sooner. I'm watching the news. I'm seeing the craziness that's happening. The wrath of God is fixing to be just unleashed on this world. You think it's rough now. You ain't seen nothing yet. Read Revelation. <laughs> That, that stuff's not allegory, pretty pictures of what it... Oh, that's just a picture. No, the, I think that the earth is going to open up and there's going to be some hellish... It's going to make The Walking Dead look like a picnic. It's going to make that TV show look like a picnic. Cultivating an awareness of God's presence wherever we go will promote godliness in our lives my hope is that we would cultivate that in our hearts today that we say god i'm no longer going to abuse your grace but i'm going to live in that grace and i'm going to follow that grace to its full conclusion and i'm going to find you to be sufficient and gloriously present in my life and i'm going to love you and I'm not going to try to hide my sins. I'm going to quickly repent. When your Holy Spirit convicts me of my sins, I'm going to repent and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to love you. I'm not going to try to make an excuse and be like, yeah, you know, I could have done. I can do that if I want. I can watch that if I want. I can follow. I can say what I want to say. I can do what I want to do because, man, I got. I do my own thing. You can, but that's dangerous. I saw this great meme the other day. It's Kid was under his point, he goes, Only God, how many of you heard this? Only God can judge me. And below that said, Yeah, and that should terrify you. That should terrify you. That we want to judge, because that's, that's oftentimes when people are in the middle of sin and somebody confronts them on their sin, they say, Well, God's the only one that's going to judge You can't judge me. Only God can. And that's 100% right. God is the only one that can judge, and He will. And that should absolutely terrify some of us. Because we're playing with sin, we're tiptoeing around the sin, and we're playing with sin, and we think it's great. We don't think it's a problem. We don't see any of this as a problem. We don't see one ounce of this as a problem. You know, I don't have it with me. It's not here. Austin. Run in such the a storeroom. There's a bottle of water. i you grab that for me? I forgot. Can you grab that for me? I appreciate you, us, for that. Um. When I got here this morning, my my wife got me this bottle of water. And in this bottle of water is just I me. Mean, it looks it's fantastic. I just I was thirsty. And. man, it's good. But what she didn't tell me was that she put some cyanide in this water before she gave it to me. But man, it's really good. It's got a little lemony zest to it. I don't know. Now, if that was true, some of you would be like, Caleb, what are you doing? That's so stupid. That's a death sentence. cyanide. It'll kill you. And you'd be right. But you know what some of you are doing? You're playing around with sin like it's a bottle full of cyanide filled water and you're just enjoying it. Last little bit there. Gotta squeeze everything out of it. It's a death sentence. Romans chapter 6 verse 26 says, or Romans 6 23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. some of us are playing with sin like it's a we're just playing we're trying to hide stuff from God we're trying to hide it from no you can't hide it I can hide it from you but I can't hide it from God I mean, lay that out before the Lord Jesus Christ today say Jesus I'm sorry forgive me and guess what Psalms 50 says you've got the opportunity to find grace You've got the opportunity to find salvation. But if you forget who God is, look out. Oh, my hope is that we would find Christ to be sufficient. And that we would stop today. We'd make the the commitment today to say, God, by your grace, I'm no longer going to abuse your grace. But I'm going to live in that grace and follow you with everything I've got. And then when you do that, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. Are you going to stumble and fall still? Yeah, you'll have moments, but the Holy Spirit will convict you and you'll be quick to repent. You will hold on to that and be like, well, it's fine. My precious. (laughs) It's not going to do that. You're going to say, man, did I get some on my hands? I need to go get some hand sanitizer. Gross. You're going to run from it. You're going to stay away from sin. You're not going to run to it and be like, this is awesome. But if you actually get into it, you're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to try to avoid that. And you're going to be quick to repent and quick to ask Jesus to change your life. Listen, you and I can trust God because he's infinite. You and I can trust God because he is omnipresent and he is always around. You can trust him. You can trust him. Let's stand together. Oh, that you'd find him to be faithful today. Oh, that you'd trust him today. Let's pray. God, I come before you as a treasonous human being who has committed sin, who has done evil in your sight. And God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you'd cleanse me of my iniquities and my unrighteousness, my pride, my arrogance, my tongue, my attitude, my anger, my pride, my lust. God, I ask that you would forgive me and you cleanse me from that iniquity. And you purify my heart, you purify my mind, and that I would walk in your truth and walk in your grace. And that I would know you and that I would long for you above all else. God, help us in these moments. We need you. We pray all this in your beautiful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you and I love you all. We'll see you guys this evening.